Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 135 of the Agile Podcast from Sunny Cheltenham at the Frog and Fiddle. This episode, we were talking about some interview questions that have been asked recently around how do we know whether Scrum is working in our organization and how do we know a Scrum Master is adding value to the team and the organization. So we hope you enjoy the episode, especially the part where we invent a brand new term, which I'm sure is going to catch on. Any questions you have in the future, let us know. And thanks for your support as ever. Cheers. Cheers. Recording, are we? Hello, everybody. Cheers, all. Cheers, chat, man. You alright? Look at that. Look at the colour of that. Very orange. Beautiful, isn't it? Very orange. Hey, welcome to episode 135 of the Agile Podcast from very, very, very sunny Cheltenham. Is the sun in your eyes? Yeah, but it's, it's good. I'm not going to complain because it's mid September and, you know, we won't have that sun for long. So, hey, we're at the Frog and Fiddle, a good local music venue. Classic local music venue. Got a bit of the Chemical Brothers in the background now. Yeah. There you go. And the sun's gone. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pick up on a couple of questions that were asked. A while ago. But before you do, let's oh, yes. what are you drinking? What am I drinking? Obviously, the question is called stateside. <laughs> is it stateside. a buck male or is it just? I a don't think glass? it is. No, no, I don't think it is. It's a session IPA. I call that an IPA. It's more like a bitter to me, cold bitter. See, yes, I wouldn't know to drink two things. I didn't. I wouldn't be able to just just drink no. between an IPA and a bitter. So IPA is generally very hoppy. Again, hop. You say hoppy. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Floral. Okay. Ish. In a way, hops. Yeah. They grow on trees. Yeah. Bushes. Okay. So, um, yeah. So. The IPA is traditionally hopped extra to help it survive the boat trips to India. Right, okay. And it's the India Pale Ale. Okay. Uh, but no, bitter is, is more sort of, it's flat and smooth and usually a little bit, well, not always, a bit creamy. It's, this, to me, it tastes a little bit more like Boddington's. Do you remember Boddington's? I do remember the advertising campaign. Yeah, a, bit like, a bit like John Smith's Boddington's, that kind of Worthington's. Yeah, kind of so, not what I was hoping for, but it'll... Sound a bit disappointed, Jeff. Well, if I'd have ordered that... Misrep- misrepresentation. If I'd have ordered that, it would have been fine. Yeah. And it's absolutely fine for a nice, warm, sunny afternoon. So, and you are drinking... So I'm, I'm drinking... Yeah, yeah, so Thatcher's have just brought out, which is a, Thatcher's is a, a very well-known cider brand in the UK. Um Thatchers have just released another fruit flavour, which is blood orange flavour cider. So, if you can see this, you'll see how how beautiful that colour is. And if you can't, just imagine a pint glass with iron brew. Yeah, an iron. It does. It, now you say. Now you said iron brew. That's telling. I'm tasting iron brew or tizer. Tizer. Anyone's old enough to remember tizer? Yeah. Um, I call like a blood orange gin. Yeah. That's Nigel about that. Nigel's got a story about it. Well, probably shouldn't share it, but Nigel, one of our Christmas dudes, Nigel, had an expi- some experiences. He lost his sight. <laughs> I think he did lose his sight at some point. He wasn't very well on blood orange gin we bought for Christmas. Yeah. 
one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's very tasty. That is. It's very um, drinkable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you were saying we got some questions from. Yeah, we had some questions. So um, we recently did a, an episode with Vasco Duarte where we were going to look at a couple of questions and we basically got stuck on one. Yeah, we, we so, talked talk too long. Um, yeah, we, I thought we'd pick, pick those two up today. Okay. And uh, I couldn't remember exactly what they were, so I'll just have a quick look. Scan, hold the line caller. It oh, says, how can you prove Scrum is working for the organisation and how does a Scrum Master add value to the team and the organisation? So these were... Uh, effectively a discussion in my community group about questions that people have been asked recently in interviews oh. so uh, how do you prove Scrum is working how do you prove it how do you know well the thing that sticks in my mind is first of all early days you'd expect if it's working I think you'd expect some degree of conflict or abrasion. Mm. I always think, yeah, and it was designed that way to to be a bit of a rub against, I suppose it depends on how... Straight away? Well, it depends on how agile an organisation you already are. So I've always found sort of almost honeymoon period, if you like, before the... It depends how many teams are taking it on. It's got quiet. Yeah, but <laughs> you, know, you because there's so much good stuff that can go on, you can kind of ignore all the tricky stuff. Yes, and you will always get that early adopter period, won't you, when teams that take it on are the teams that are likely to want it to succeed. Yeah. So I think you'll probably be seeing some early successes. What kind of successes? Just, I suppose, good good news stories um, you'd be looking for um, projects successful kind of deliveries early or on time possibly um, happy people well, that's an interesting one I want to stick a flag in that one actually because Nigel posted something on LinkedIn today did you see that? I've seen it uh, it was quite it was, I liked it it had, a, it had a very good hook. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'll come back to that one in a minute. Just remind me. Uh-huh. Um, but the the idea of whether Scrum is working, I think, kind of depends on what what's caught, what's brought you to need yes. to use Scrum. So most most I would most organisations generally find themselves not able to deliver as quick as they would like to or need to, and so yeah. They want quicker, more reliable deliveries. That's usually it. And there are some other things around that. But ultimately, if you ain't delivering, what's the point in all the rest of the stuff? There are a few who have come to me because they're delivering fine, but the quality's dreadful. Mm-hmm. And um, that's largely stemmed from a startup culture that has gone too far. Mm. So they've used Scrum to bring in some discipline mm. and rigour. Mm. But the ultimate is, it's kind of, you know, start with the end in mind. Well, why are we doing this? Mm. Because we need this. Okay, well then that's what we're looking for. And that might take long. That might take a long time, but there are probably a number of things in the short term that would indicate that we're on the right path. But yeah. I think, so, 
I'm trying to think of an example. I won't give the name of the company, but an example of a transformation or a, a, an adoption. Should we call them TB? No. Okay. No, um, no, it's, no it's, it's a different company. Uh, but I think they didn't realize, so I'm talking more at the management level now, didn't necessarily realize the value until late, until other things happened. Right. So the thing that springs to mind is um, resourcing projects. So putting or allocating, you know, basically starting things up, getting people to work on stuff. Yeah. So that was a, a benefit that by having fixed teams, that it took away a lot of their monitoring, a lot of their budgeting, a lot of their um, pain around tracking okay. projects, tracking costs. It made things simpler. And I don't, if I'm honest, I don't think they took it on with that expectation. I think okay. that was a, a, by, a, yeah, a byproduct of, of... I think it was... If I was trying to nail it down, I think it was just generally developer developer um, desire to do something, to, to change things, to do things differently, and, and yeah. to very much try it out. So, some of the bad. I think, and I always talk about this in my courses, um, particularly when talking to, to leaders. Really, is be very clear, or at least have an. You've got to be very clear on what you're doing this for. Yeah. So there's, the a, there's an expectation of what the, you think the value will be before you do it, else you wouldn't do it. Yeah, there's, there's got to be enough point. Yes. And you've got to be feeling the pain because it's not, you know... Just doing it because everyone else is doing it isn't the right option. <coughs> is this Nigel Baker? Or singing this song? No. <laughs> just sort of... Anyone who was just listening to the tracks behind no, us, it was uh, the shaman Ebenezer Good. Which is about drugs. Hmm? Which is about drugs. Is it? I think so. Probably. Don't know. I think so. <coughs> easy good. My wife tells me that I, I spoil songs for her by telling her the lyrics. Is it about easy good? Yeah. Right. So about Nigel. Golden Brown. It's about heroin, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Oh, Golden stuff. Brown. I thought Gordon Brown. <laughs> no, no, definitely not Gordon Brown. For obvious reasons. So what is it? Have you got this LinkedIn post there, Jeff? Yes. So bring it in, bring it, bring it back. Oh, it's a so, long one. Yeah, it's a long one. So he's, he talks about the movie laptop. His late dad's favourite film. Oh yes. Uh, Once upon a time in the revolution. Never heard of it. No. Um, looks like a foreign film. Um, it's uh, it, largely he's talking about how um, no, it's. It's, it, on the face of it it's very very cheap and simplistic but there's complexity underneath it um, and he, he picks out uh, so almost the, the, the moral of the story which mm. is in a revolution ordinary people die mm. the people in charge get all the benefits and then become the new tyrants <coughs> and he blinks okay. and says look at your agile transformation uh, are you actually helping the people who, whose name this work is being done in mm. are you making the developers the MS, the engineers happy are you transforming their world of work or is yeah. this another change for you and the shareholders good yes good point uh, and you know there is a, so when you said about happy people I used to say there are five reasons for doing agile or doing scrub and one of them this was from the Forrester research is that people were happy and I've never come across an organisation that said oh, people are pretty miserable let's do scrub mm. yet maybe they are I don't know 
but it, it's always been a side benefit for me. But I don't, I don't think it should be the reason. So I guess the argument there would be, I, I take it back to Sean Aker's TED talk about uh, happy secrets are better work. In that if you're happy, you generally do better work. You don't necessarily do better work to be happy. So you think start with happiness and better work will follow, and maybe that's maybe that's something to do with it. But for me, I think there's there's a risk. I'm a business owner. I've got a lot of happy people, yeah. but I got I got a business. Yeah. I wonder if if, if Mr. Schwaber, Ken was here now what his original selling point was I was. never ever heard him talk about people that no I didn't either I'm pretty sure that wouldn't that have been that was more of an XP thing I think liberating yeah. the developers liberating developers um, I never heard him talk about happiness as, a, as, a, as an intention he introduced me to the forest in fact I think it was his daughter that, that did the research for Forrester that, that came up with those five benefits special, one of which being happier people uh, and well I would be sceptical of the fact that you've got a family member doing your research for you for you um, might not be the most um, objective yeah. and it wasn't there was nothing no mention of happiness quoted in the original uh, paper the new new product development that no. was again very much about well but then saying that or even in the uh, John Manifesto no but it was it was largely around lean benefits really around um, crossover of development yeah, yeah. paralysing work um, autonomy but then it's happiness may well if you're increasing autonomy what we've learned over recent years is that autonomy is a indicator of potential happiness as well so more motivated teams if they are more top more autonomous well when you follow that thread we're going off track here a little bit that's my fault that's, but that's what we do um, autonomy itself isn't necessarily motivating just purely no so because if I'm given autonomy, but I don't feel that I have the capacity or the capability yeah. to do what needs to be done to be successful with that autonomy, autonomy is scary. Yeah. I, I want to shy away from that. Um, if, if I fear the consequences more than I look forward to the benefits, I don't want autonomy. So on its own, it's not necessarily a valuable thing. No. If, I, if, I'm, if I've got autonomy in an organisation that is dying, then I just feel more responsible for the company, company's failure. It's not motivating at all. Here's a different thread then. Um, so tying this back to value, this idea of autonomy. So you, let's take the worst case scenario. You have highly autonomous developers in, a failing, in an organisation that they don't know. You can have, on the surface, happy, autonomous teams but are basically the, the, the company is going under or the company is struggling to make ends meet. So is a better indication of that we're making progress adding value that there's more connectivity across our organisation so that our teams yeah. building our products are un- understand the criti- how critical the work is to the overall purpose. Yeah, and if you took, if you took that to an extreme where the organisation is on the brink, yeah. then all processes and systems would be thrown out the window. And yeah. just, it would be all hands on deck, so let's do this. Well, I'll say that, actually, would it? And this sort of came up in, in our conversation with Vasco, didn't it, about the, the Berlin platform speech at Apple. Yeah. Was it a case of you need to, you know, we've got nothing else to lose, yeah. go for it. Yeah. Or is it panic, yeah. reserve, revert to yeah. 
do what I said. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> you suppose you get two responses. But then you don't want to get it to that stage. So, I mean, is it working? You've got to look at what your metrics are and then actually find a benchmark and then assess the progress. And maybe there are you know, leading indicators in that, in that that will give you an indication. I would imagine if, if you were trying if you were trying to get the benefits of Scrum and your development teams were unhappy, that would be an indicator that something isn't quite right. Mm. But not always. I remember a we this was a this was an old story from an old company that we won't name, but it's a large <laughs> a large company in the UK. Um, we stumbled across a. Uh, it's good to talk about it. <laughs> we stumbled across some kind of report. I don't think we were meant to read from uh, a fairly senior manager. And it was around some of the key objectives for agility. Do you remember this? And one of it was around basically trimming staff. Basically, okay. they needed to cut costs. Yeah. And we were told uh, either we stumbled across it or we were told not to share it. We probably shouldn't share it now. But, um, that was again. They were they would so to, to, to take that back. The value in that transformation was cost cutting. Was do the same or do more with less. And we need to trim our workforce. Okay. Unpopular opinion here. I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think it's a scary thing though if if you don't if you are not aware of that if you don't know what that costs are a problem yeah um, so bear with me on this one because I'm going to sort of almost go around in a circle almost so as you've done well you will actually achieve more with less correct right? um, you would need fewer people you would need fewer experts yeah specialists um there would be fewer working, fewer pieces of items in progress. Yeah. Cycle times would reduce. Yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, done well. Um, and there are many organisations. I've yet to find an organisation actually that, that couldn't benefit from having slightly fewer people. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those people don't actually enjoy their job as it is anyway. No, that's true. And they could add a lot more value somewhere else. Now this is where I circle back. I say, you've made those gains, so we've improved. Well, let's say we've improved productivity, we've improved efficiency, we've improved effectiveness. Mm-hmm. I could take the opportunity to get rid of some people, or I could say, well, actually, these people are now available to do something else. So we could do more good stuff. We could actually scale up what we've done, uh, which could be an option. If those people are up for it, if they're up for, in many cases, changing their skill set, approach, mindset, departments, reporting structures, and all those kinds of things, then uh, it doesn't necessarily have to lead to cost cutting. It could lead to expanded revenue generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. And um, I think, again, one of these are a value is it adding value, a different question is it increasing transparency? Are we more aware of what's going on? Are we, are we more aware of those costs? Are we more aware of those potential benefits? Yeah. So, are we adding value if we're, like you said, if we're stopping unnecessary work? Yeah. Are we monitoring our work in progress? Are we making tough decisions about not doing non essential work? Here's another one. Uh, 
emergency from last week. So I'm sort of client. Mm-hmm. Um, got a big, big group, a lot of people, a lot of skills, a lot of projects, and they've been trying to do, trying to become more agile for a while. Um, they experimented with safe, found it was terrible, mm-hmm. and then said, so, "Well, we need to get rid of this." Jeff, can you help? So we're talking about what their problems are at the moment, and just overwork and lots of bottlenecks and lots of just stuff not being able to get done and basically a bit of chaos not really any predictability so we talked about the idea of slowing down to speed up Mm. so we mapped out the key value streams and we identified where the skills were in their organisation and there were a couple of skills that were very very short and only a couple of people in the organisation had those skills to a degree where they could actually work on their own Mm. And so those people became the experts, the specialists, and ultimately the bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. So they, they could never be part of a team because there weren't enough of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they were always in demand. And they were just, you know, going... From, in a way, they were, they were almost revered mm-hmm. as heroes because mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of... You know, if you got time with them, you were lucky, something. Mm-hmm. So they, they're almost gods in a way. But they were the limiting factor. And... Because they were so good at what they did, they were. Um, it was a no-brainer for the organisation and anyone in the organisation that when a piece of work came in that needed that skill, that's who they would go to. They couldn't afford to, to find somebody else to do it. And they, I mean, they weren't because they were nice people, but they could very well have been holding that organisation to ransom. Mm-hmm. As if they left, yeah, they were screwed. Uh, and we talked about how all these other people that are doing stuff, they look busy, mm. but it's all potential waste. Mm-hmm. Because until they've got what this person over here does, it's not valuable. And so the, the kind of guiding rule, guiding principle we talk about here is, if you've got a piece of work that requires that person to do it, they are the only person in the organisation that should not be doing it. Yeah. Because they're just amplifying that bottleneck so talked about the unpleasant scenario of actually then stopping work and actually becoming a full time mentor for a while yeah because we needed to upskill that across the organisation so slowing down to speed up and I think that certainly in the I would say in the medium term would be an indicator of scrum working because we've got visibility of our bottlenecks and our value streams we know actually it's in our long-term interests to not overly specialise and spread our skills out instead. That's painful. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if the terminology here is is part of the answer. So or it's part of the question maybe. So if you just look at is scrum adding value versus are we increasing the agility of an organization? They can be two different things. Yeah. So Scrum's designed really to highlight a lot of dysfunction. You could argue that dysfunction isn't isn't valuable. So I like bottlenecks and things like that. Yeah, but the removal of it or the the, you know the streamlining of it all is so. We some of the stuff we used to do at a large telecoms company was around um, uh, value stream mapping. So the idea of actually. And I, we had some horrendous stats at the time 
I remember doing yeah. for in terms of how inefficient the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the value stream was. Yeah, ten percent of our yeah. lapse time was waste. Yeah, it was, it was, it was certainly less than ten percent. I know that, and it was staggering. Um, now Scrum wasn't wasn't really part of that. Uh, yeah. That diagram, that that analysis, but obviously it's 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 there creating these pinch points, highlighting these these um, these bottlenecks. And I think that wider appreciation of, and we talk about it a lot in our advanced classes. We we talked about the idea of system, scrum masters with systems a systems thinking approach. They're trying to connect teams and trying to look at the the greater good and the the overall value stream. Rather, because you can have. If you look at it in a too narrow mindset, if you say the Scrum is adding value to my team, I might not be adding value to my organisation. Well, that's a nice link, actually. And, and listeners and viewers, Paul needs to be given credit there because <laughs> that was an accident, but it was a happy accident. He has actually linked us on to the second question, which is how does a Scrum Master add value to our teams and our organisations? So... There is a difference between adding value to the team yes. and the organisation. Yes. Tell us more, Paul. Well, in terms of yeah, you might think yeah, Scrum. If I'm I'm serving my team, I'm at that. I'm adding value. Serving my serving the product owner, adding value. And the let's say that team becomes more happy. That team starts to deliver more things than they were able to deliver before. Great. But that in turn, in isolation puts pressure on other parts of your organisation to match that pace yep. to match that um, and mirror those um, that, that principle so we had this several cases in previous companies where we'd have small successes but actually we'd be creating more pain in other parts of the business and that can be good in terms of highlighting the pain points my if I was to try and summarise, this is off the cuff. I'm not sure if this is going to work out. But where, if that team is not cross-functional, it's not a feature team, if it's a component team, Correct, yeah. then more often than not, not always, but more often than not, that team getting better hurts the system. Because in extremis, that component team becomes such an expert that they are the only people in the yeah. organisation that can do that part of the life cycle. a bottleneck. And then they are a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that the work has to go to them. And it becomes harder and harder to become cross-functional. And whenever you've got a component team, you're quadrupling the cycle time, mm. in my experience. So if it's a cross-functional team, if it's a fully you know, value-focused team that's getting better, then I generally don't see a detrimental impact on the rest of the system or the organisation. But it's, it's rare that I see that until quite a way down the line. Mm. Mm. So what does a Scrum Master do in that situation? Do they serve the team or do they serve the organisation? Well, I suppose, in my, this is my opinion, I'm not saying it's the, the, the answer, but I felt a duty. And maybe that's the, that's the certainly the way I train and the way the adoption kind of the growth is you start with the, well, what you what you can control yeah as a scrum master that I, it's easier to um, increase the agility of seven to ten people than it is 70 to 100 or whatever yeah whatever the numbers are yeah. 
So start small. Um, but the down, like I said, the downside is that potentially puts pressure on the organisation. And a lot of companies, I think, falter after that point where they've started, and then it gets difficult because more has to change. Yeah. And either they attempt to stay, or they regress, or they morph back into some kind of hybrid. Um, I, this this probably is actually going to make things worse. But my attempt to explain it is to is to I'm immediately drawn back to my coaching work, my one-to-one coaching work, and the metaphor that I've got in my head is, you know, I can I can help someone get better at some short-term tactics, which are effectively coping mechanisms yeah. or defence mechanisms or avoidance mechanisms. But they, they keep them going on a day-to-day basis, but they effectively avoid tackling the big systemic or strategic mm. thing that's going on. And I think, you know, as a scrum master, if I was the coach in that situation, I would feel the duty to just highlight that, to play that back. You know, this is what I'm, this is what I'm observing. This is what I'm noticing. Where, where do you want to focus right now? Mm. Um, and I think it would be unethical of me as, as, a, as a servant leader of that team to allow them to improve in the short term but build up more I have, a fe- I have a feeling we've got another word potential here so it's not technical debt it's almost like team debt mm. or systemic debt mm. nice Ooh, systemic debt Trade by that one yeah ding you heard it here first it's <laughs> systemic debt um, that becomes even harder to deal with later on because the coping mechanisms we put in place yeah. become more and more embedded yeah but it's easy you know, so you know, a good scrum master will oh, are you watching Haste of the Dragon? no I've heard of it yeah it's the, it's the prequel to Game of Game Thrones, of Thrones. There, was a, there was a scene this isn't a spoiler uh, <laughs> there was a scene where an advisor basically gave the person they were advising an uncomfortable truth mm. and that person chose to effectively ignore that advice assume that person was lying and were in denial basically and said you're supposed to be looking out for me he said well as an advisor sometimes we have to give people that we're advising uncomfortable truths yeah yeah. don't shoot the messenger this is is just the information and as a scrum master I think you've got to be prepared to do that you've got to be prepared to hold the mirror up and let people see things that perhaps they don't want to see Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that be the team, whether that be the organisation, whether that be individuals. And again, your job as a scrum master is to make sure that mirror is completely flat. It's not distorted in any way through your judgement, through your interpretation, or just the angle that you're holding it. Mm. So that they can see it truly as it is, but with with compassion, because mm. they are doing the best that they can, and, and the challenges that they're facing are tough ones. Yeah. Yeah, going back to how does a scrum master serve a team and organisation I think by, by by helping the team see the organisational yeah. context not not just act as a team in isolation no it's not to create that siege mentality is it that, that it's, them, it's us against because that that can be I'm not going to downplay that that can be a very easy way a good way to get people on yep. on sides yeah, to yeah. say circle the wagons exactly yeah this is we've got to look after ourselves here we've got to protect each other the team is, is the most critical thing it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing as long as we're okay which is a great way to, to get people on side 
but not necessarily a great way to long term to connect even across, even with other teams you see Create that systemic debt yeah so you know I'm, am I less likely to help Jeff's team if I think my team's better than Jeff's team and they've you know they've got rubbish developers so why would we help them we're not going to benefit from that um, even though the yeah the te- the organisation needs everyone to pull together so I know plenty of scrum masters that have, have come a cropper there and see it as a I think it's also how how short term or long term you see your role or you your your position your how long do you want to be there yeah. or what legacy do you want to create interesting yeah I've always thought of scrum masters is this is going to sound very cliche but yeah, we say people plant seeds not so that they can see the trees but whatever you're planting stuff that you're not going to ever see yeah. the benefit from um, and actually yeah, that's something I was talking to scrum, a couple of scrum masters about recently and that you know what do I do is, is there any point in me doing this because it's going to take so long until it happens so, well you know okay, you might not benefit from this personally you might never see the results of this uh, and by the time it comes you, you might be in a different organisation mm, yeah yeah true but doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You know, that's certain leadership, really. Mm. I think for me. Mm. Mm. Oh, interesting. That's quite cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for the yeah. questions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Those of you that are watching. Yeah. Um, if you've got any more questions you want us to cover, ping them in at the Agile Podcast um, or in the, in the Patreon comments. Cheers. Yeah, cheers everyone. Thanks, mate. That's great. Nice to see you again. For any of those of you out there having interviews, good luck.